Welcome to the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. And as always, I'm joined by my partners, Adam Kirchin and Kevin Stone. Gentlemen, how are you this evening? Good, good. Doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing all right. Kirchin, you had a hell of a weekend. It was a wild weekend, as Hank Williams Jr. once said. Yeah, it was a great uh, atmosphere down in Baton Rouge. LSU wins in overtime in the last play of the game. They stormed the field. I did not storm the field. What about Fargo? Did Fargo uh, storm? No, he did not. And Tom Fargo did not storm the field. But uh, it was a it was a, just an incredible weekend. Uh, the downside is on the plane. I was on the plane back during the Patriots game, so I don't have. I didn't watch the entire Patriots game. Uh, you didn't miss much. Yeah. Me, luckily, me and Stone were both there, and you didn't miss much. So we'll 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 fill in some of the gaps. But before we do that, I do want to remind you guys that if you are looking into selling your current home, or you're a first-time home buyer and want to get pre-approved for a mortgage, give Herb Devine a call at Mortgage Right, 781-254-2846. You can also visit situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available to answer any questions you may have, including nights and weekends. If you are in the market to either purchase or sell, and you need an experienced loan officer that can guide you through the process, well, then Herb Devine is your man. With over 20 years of experience in the industry, he's one of the best in the business. And no, I'm not saying that because he sponsors our show. I'm saying it because I'm in the business. And it's there's a lot of good lenders and loan officers out there, but you want the ones with the experience. Herb has the experience. He knows Massachusetts. He knows New England. If you're ready to buy, give him a call or email him today. He'll take care of you, I promise. Not only is he one of the best in the business, he's also one of the coolest dudes you'll, you'll meet. So... That's part of this. You want to work with good people. Herb is good people. All right, Patriots pick up a 26-3 to win over the Indianapolis Colts. It was so bad for the Colts, they fired Frank Reich today. That's how bad it was. Interestingly enough, Kirkshin, I was at the game yesterday with my nephew, 10 rows from the Colts bench. All I can think of throughout the course of the game, especially during commercials, is I kept staring at Reich, and I got this dead man walking vibe. And in the back of my mind, I thought, he's not long for this job. You could just tell his body language sucked. The team's body language sucked. And sure enough, good old Bob Ursay pulled the trigger today in Candom. But aside from that, dominant performance by the Patriots defense, playing at an 85 Bears, 2000 Ravens level yesterday, nine sacks. They had a pick six return for a touchdown by Jonathan Jones. Just a dominant performance. My question to you guys is this. Was that performance a product of how good this defense is? Or do you think it was a byproduct of the Colts sucking on offense? Or as an added bonus, a combination of both? I think it's both. I mean, look, it's hard to take a lot away, but it's also hard to discredit what, you know, guys like Juan are doing. And um, even Uche yesterday was unblockable. Um, I mean, the entire defense really was was unblockable yesterday, but I think it's a combination. I mean, you have a young quarterback that clearly was in over his head yesterday, and I don't think we learned anything about the Patriots' offense. Um, but it's hard to, again, it's hard to discredit that defensive effort when you set it when you tie a, a franchise record for sacks, and you have a pick six, and you have a block punt. Like you're getting contributions from everybody. It's just Indy's so bad that it's hard to to put a ton of stock into it, at least I think. It, it sounds like the defense played well. Anytime that happens, it's both. It's both the offense and the defense. Uh, I, you know, I think you have to like how they're playing. I mean, to say it was all on the Colts is not giving the Patriots enough credit. So, you know, I think they're, you know, they've, they've got a winning record. You know, they're starting to play well. You know, we'll see if the offense can hold up its end of the deal. Yeah, I think it is a combination of both as well. But but I do think this defense is really good. We've been saying it all along, and it's and I'm not saying that because we want to pretend like we were ahead of the curve or something, or that we knew something that no one else didn't. I think that anybody that covers the team knows that from a talent standpoint, the talent was certainly there going into the season. Sure, there were some question marks at corner. Did they have another pass rusher opposite Judon? There were question marks, but we also knew that this was a deep talented defense and that showed up yesterday the nine sacks Judon had three Uche had three Judon has 11 and a half sacks going into week 10 
I mean, he, to me right now, is the clear front runner for defensive player of the year. He's been virtually unblockable most of the season. You hope that he doesn't disappear like he did last year. Now, they had a later bye last year, but he was a non-factor down the stretch for him last year. You hope that's not the case this year. He needs to continue to be the catalyst for not only this defense, but this team. In many ways, he's the heart and soul of the entire team, in my opinion. Now, offensively, different story. The offense continued to struggle, and I thought that it was it, it universally was bad yesterday. I thought Patricia had a bad day calling plays. The offensive line continues to struggle in pass pro. Jones looked skittish at times in the pocket. He held on to the ball too long, made some questionable decisions. Of course, late in the game, he has an opportunity to score there to put it away, and he slides at the two-yard line. He got a lot of boos for that. The offense has a long way to go, and they need this buy. This buy, to me, is huge for this group because they're going to need to go back, evaluate the first nine weeks, and see what they can do to get better. Because if the defense can sustain and continue to play at the level they're capable of, Patriots are only going to go as far as that defense takes them, but they need that complementary offense. It really wasn't there yesterday. Colts' defense is talented, but bottom line is the Patriots were meh on offense yesterday. The scariest thing for me, and I want to ask you. It's terrifying. Make sure you remind us that it terrifies you. Um, the running game was just non-existent. I mean, Ramondre. 70 yards. That's it. Yeah. They made Stevenson look pedestrian yesterday. Was that play calling or was it execution? Because none of it was good. I, I think, I, I'll be honest with you, Kevin, I think a lot of it was them. I mean, he only had 15 carries. Like, not for nothing, but – I know you call up J.J. Taylor from the practice squad, but did he really need to touch the ball as many times as he did? I mean, it's it, look, I know Damian Harris is out, but Ramondre Stevenson, does, believe it or not, he did not get a lot of carries at Oklahoma. He does not have a lot of miles on that body. He could have handled 20, 22, even 25 carries yesterday. I didn't understand why they were so hell-bent on splitting carries with him and Taylor and giving Taylor the ball. It, it just made no sense to me. Yeah, and Real quick, too, it just – when they did run play action, it made it kind of useless. <laughs> like, it was – it was like they were stuck in mud yesterday, you know, for the most part on offense. And um, the red zone play calling, too, again, you would know better than I would, but that was that was mind-boggling as well. I wonder if part of it is that they knew that they were not going to lose to the Colts, so they just played it conservative and didn't show anything. You know, I think that might have been maybe a part of it. It might have been. I mean, you look at their rushing statistics yesterday. Stevenson, 15 for 60. J.J. Taylor had 10 carries, and he amassed nine yards. <laughs> Stevenson had a long of 16. They rushed for, for 70 yards. Mack, 20 of 30. Buck, 47. He threw the touchdown pass. Passer rating of 89.2. Your leading receiver was Hunter Henry, 4 for 50. Half those yards came on that seam route he caught in the fourth quarter. So I, I just – and there might be something to what you're saying, Adam, that, you know what, look, as long as we don't turn the ball over and F it up, the defense is going to uphold their end of the bargain. They're going to shut this offense down. We'll be fine. It's 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 good to think that internally. But from an optics standpoint, we're not in the building every day. So we don't know what their thought process was and, and how they game plan the Colts. But to me, I just thought – that they just looked terrible on offense again. And and I think, unfortunately, right now, when you look at the Patriots' big picture, they're a middle-of-the-pack team in the NFL right now. And a big reason for that is their offense. I don't think their offense is good enough to get them out of that part of the league and get them back into the upper echelon again. And, and that, that's not going to change this season. This is who you have. This is who you're going to be. Now, of course, I mentioned the slide Jones did not endear himself. Fans have, have been very impatient. There were chance it calls for Zappy yesterday. But that slide did not endear him to fans. There were a lot of people that booed him after that. I will say this, though. In his defense, he's not a great athlete by any means. <laughs> so I don't know what people were thinking there. I mean, he would have had to put a move on the defender to, to score. I'm not sure he can do that in space. Not that kind of an athlete. So I don't hold that against him, but a lot of people weren't happy that he didn't try to score. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, like, give an effort, right? Like, at least, like, it, making it look like you're trying to put something on him. Like, he just went down very, very quickly. But 
Um, so the one thing is, you know, you look at Buffalo and what they're dealing with now, they could easily win this division still, which is kind of wild to think about. But but you have the Jets in two weeks, then you have the Bills at home. So everything's still right in front of them. If they can get things right during this bye week, it's it's an interesting story down the stretch. Yeah, I mean they don't they don't give off the feel of a division leader, a division winner, anything like that. They don't look like that, but it's still in play, and we'll see we'll see what's going on with Josh Allen. I mean, that would turn the whole league on its head because of the expectations of that team right now. So we'll see. I think the the pay, you, I think this week has to be an offense by week. You know, like they just gotta figure out what works and go with that um, because it still kind of feels like they're figuring things out. Yeah, I agree. I, th- I think that they need to go back to the drawing board and and reevaluate what are they doing, what's working, what's not working. Um, certainly what's not working is their offensive line combinations. Cold Strange was benched yesterday. Isaiah Wynn gets the start at left guard, plays 48 snaps. Cole Strange did manage to play 15 snaps in that game yesterday, but they have to find the right combination up front. They have to figure out what runs work best for them. They have to figure out what Jones likes the best in the passing game, what he's comfortable with, what he's not comfortable with. They have to go through all of that and try to figure out a way to get better in certain areas. Now, with that said, they're 5-4 and four at the bye. If I told you prior to week one, that they were going to be five and four going into their bye, what would you have said? I'd have taken that for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably. Especially if you lay out, you know, the zappy scenario and, and losing Mac for three games too. They're right where they should be, but that we talked about it last week. That Bears game and that Packers game might haunt them down the stretch in terms of playoff seeding. I agree, but keep one thing in mind. The Raiders and the Cardinals aren't who we thought they were going to be. So those are two winnable games now. The Jets are a winnable game. You win those three, there's eight right there. I don't think eight gets you in in the AFC, but I think 10 does. Now you have to find a way to either steal one against Buffalo or you beat a Cincinnati or you beat a Miami. There's a combination there that, that if you can pick up two wins in those three games, now you have a shot. But yeah, I would agree. I, I'd say that they're probably where they should be. I thought they'd probably be a game better, maybe six and three. Maybe they either beat Green Bay or Chicago. Although I, I will say this, I don't think any of us thought Green Bay would be this bad. Um, but we knew Chicago could be bad, but that was a missed opportunity. I would say that that's the game that that they let get away because if you win that one now, you're six and three going into your bye. You're pretty much tied for second place. You have a three-way tie for second place in the division. You're in a pretty good spot. Instead, you're in last place. You're still chasing Miami, New York, and then you're obviously a couple games behind Buffalo. So this is a situation where I think they are where they should be. And I think going into this season, my expectations were 9-8, and 10-7, and seven, and they're in line to do that. And again, as I said earlier, if you're talking 9-8, and 10-7, and seven, you're a middle-of-the-pack team. That's what you are. You're not a legitimate contender. That's what they are here. Final question on the Patriots here before we move on. Second half, two-part question. One, what do they need to do to make the playoffs? And two, are they a playoff team? Do you think this team can get into the playoffs? And if they do, do, do they have a, a shot at making some noise? I don't see – I don't – I think if they get in, they get in as a wild card or, or you know, as, as one of the lower-seeded teams. But, but I don't necessarily expect that of them. I, They don't feel like a, a playoff team right now. Although their defense is playing great, if they can figure things out on offense, it just seems like Mac has regressed and there's something about this current combination of coaches and players that just isn't working offensively. They could turn that around. But that's how. So that that was what was the one? What was the other question? What was the first question? Well, I I think. Do you see? What are your thoughts on the second half of the year? In essence, because they're coming out of the bye here. But yeah, how do you think they finish? I I think I before the year I thought they were nine and eight or eight and nine. I still kind of feel like that. I don't get a like a dominant football team feel from the from this team. So yeah, yeah, I don't either. But I do think they end up getting in. I'm going to say like 10 and 7, 
just because of the defense. Like, again, not to toot our own horn, but we've been on them for a while. And I think that Bears game was an anomaly. Like, they've been pretty good for the most part in every game, and they've been in every game. So um, if that defense can keep doing what it's doing and not fade after the bye like it did last year, and you get, you know, defensive MVP Judon for the entire 17-game season, you're going to be in every game just because of that defense. So I do think they get in, and they might win around at this point. All right, well, let's let's play a quick game then, real quick game. Let's look at the rest of their schedule. And all I want you guys to do is just tell me if it's a win or a loss in your opinion, all right? Jets on November 20th, win or a loss? Win. Win. Okay, so they're 6-4. and four. Thanksgiving night in Minnesota, win or a loss? Loss. Yeah, loss. So they're 6-5. and five. Buffalo on December 1st comes here for Thursday night football, win or a loss? Lost. I'm gonna say win. All right. So Kirchner has him at six and six. You have him at seven and five. All right. Next up we have hold on, my phone's being lame. Next up we have trip to Arizona to take on the Cardinals. Win or a loss? Win. Win. Okay. Then they go to Vegas to take on the Raiders. So they're gonna stay out there that week. Win or a loss? Win. Yeah, win. Okay. So, Stone, I believe you're up to, what, eight wins? Yeah. Kirkshire's up to seven. Bengals come here on Christmas Eve. Win or a loss? Loss. Win. I love that spot for them. Okay. So, you have them at nine wins. Miami, New Year's Day, win or a loss? Loss. Win. Okay. And then they go to Buffalo to close out the season on January 8th. Winner or loss? Loss. Loss. So, Kirchin, by your math, you're, you stayed the course. You, you, I believe you have them finishing 8-9, and nine, and you stayed the course. Stone, I believe you think that they're going to finish with 10 wins. So, you might have even had 11. I don't know. I wasn't counting. I was just asking the win and the loss question. But you were in that neighborhood. Um, yeah, no. Either way, it's just there's a few games in there that – a, I like the spots, and B, you know, a team like Buffalo, we don't know what they're going to look like. Arizona and Vegas, you mentioned there, you know, Vegas is in shambles right now. So I just think there's – You might be one and done out there. Yeah. So, I mean, I just think there's certain spots that we may have chalked up as a loss that might not be, you know, all that difficult now. Yeah, and I think you're right. And I think when you look at the second half of their schedule, it's, it doesn't appear as daunting anymore, but you still got Buffalo twice. You got a talented Cincinnati team. By then, they'll have Jamar Chase back. Minnesota, to me, that that game at the beginning of the year, I would have had as a as a toss up. They've been much better than I thought, and I and I can't stand the rest of the NFC North. So I it it pains me to give any of those teams credit. I can't stand the Lions. I can't stand the Bears, especially the Bears, and I can't stand the Vikings. They're all annoying franchises. But you got to give the devil their due. I mean, they they they've done a pretty good job. So. Spoken like a true disgruntled uh, Milwaukee Packers fan who's embarrassed to to even call them a team that he likes anymore. That's why I changed the name of my hat from the Packers to the Hackers. All right, you are watching the New England Football Show presented by Mortgage Right. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. And I do want to remind you real quick that if you are in the market to buy or sell a home, and you need to get pre-approved, give Herb Devine a call at 781-254-2846. You can also email Herb at situate.mortgageright.com. He and his team are available anytime, including nights and weekends, to answer any questions you might have. You can set up an appointment with them. You can meet with them. Reach out to Herb today. All right, gentlemen, let's uh, pivot here and talk some college football. And before we do that real quick, I, I was going to ask you this. McDaniels, is he one and done? Yeah, I think so. I want to ask you real quick. Is Aaron Rodgers done after this year? Yes, he's not going to be in Green Bay next year. Has to be, right? He won't. He won't be. He's done. It's over. They need to move on. He needs to move on. I don't see it. I agree with Kirchin. I don't see one and done for McDaniels. I think they'll turn it around enough that he gets another year. But he's already had two meetings with the owner. That's not good. And yeah. his good buddy Patrick Graham, the defensive coordinator, is betraying him. So he, that's not good either. If he yeah, is I think, that, is he, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, if he is done, does he come back here? Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. so too. Yes, unless I, the 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 Belichick Patricia bond is so strong that, but I think he does. I think if if he became available again. I think he comes back. I think they elevate Patricia to assistant head coach O-line, and McDaniels runs the offense and judges the quarterback's coach, pass game coordinator, and then they form this offensive cabal. But I don't see it. I think he's back for another year. I just like using the term cabal. But um, I, 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 don't see, I don't see it. I think he's back. I mean, you can't get rid of him after one year. Plus, don't forget, they brought in Dave Ziegler to be the GM. So you brought them in as a package deal. Who's going to fire him? Obviously, if he were to be fired, you'd have to think it would be Davis that would be pulling the trigger. It wouldn't be his buddy. So I don't see it. I think he gets another year. Anyway, let's talk some college football here. Obviously, Stone on Saturday, you were at Fitton Field. Holy Cross has won four Patriot League titles in a row. An impressive win over Lehigh to make it official. Look, we don't need to, to applaud this program any more than we already have. We have tongue-bathed them enough this season. We, we, we love Coach Chesney and the Crusaders, but they're firmly entrenched now in the top eight. They're in position if they can win out, and their schedule is easy enough that they should be able to win out. There is no reason to think why this team doesn't earn a first-round bye, and I'll take it a step further. There's no reason to think that if they're healthy and they play well, that they can't make a championship run here. Hey, I've been saying final eight since August. So, um, look, the other day, I asked Coach Chesney after the game, there's still two games left. And for a team that doesn't talk about rankings and doesn't talk about, you know, bigger picture, I asked him, can you at least start to think about trying to, you know, make a statement in these last two games for one of those top buys? And and he acknowledged, you know, look, we can start talking about it. Like, we know it's at stake. So um, they're fully in on making that championship run. And that's not to say – they haven't been, but now that they finally clinched and, and you can kind of check one of those, you know, season goals off the list, they're looking ahead a little bit and, and rightfully so they've earned that right. So uh, I'm with you. There's no, no reason whatsoever why they're not a final eight, at least team. Yeah. I, you know, what can you say about them at this point? They're so good, you know, in such a short time, he turned that program from just like a middle of the pack team to the dominant team in the Patriot League, the dominant team in the Patriot League, and a national title contender. And where they are right now, they're, they're probably getting one of those buys. That means you're a national ch championship contender. So you're right there. He's gotten them all the way. They're undefeated. They beat an FBS team. I mean, what else What else do you want? And, you know, I hate to get into this, but, I mean, if you're an FBS team, how are you not looking at Bob Chesney if you just fired your coach? You know, he's got to be a candidate in a lot of places. I mean, it it's just been remarkable how how positive his impact has been, and you that's the thing you got got to worry about if you're Holy Cross is that hey, this guy's putting on quite a show, and some FBS school is going to try to pick him up and a smart smart one at that. Yeah, although I'm sure that the faithful have probably had enough of us speculating about his departure. But you're right. right. Especially if they make a run, you'd have to think he was already garnering some interest the last offseason. could happen again. But they do have a, 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 a tricky game this week. They host Bryant. Chris Merritt's team is pretty good talent-wise. They've had a tough year. But they just, they're coming off a big win over Campbell at home. They've had a tough year, but that team certainly has the talent that they can go to Worcester and, and possibly upset the Crusaders. And, no, I'm not pumping the tires of the Bulldogs here. I'm being honest. That's a team that has had a tough season. But you've got a talented quarterback in Zeviak Kaus. They have a really good skill group. Anthony Barisi, their defensive coordinator, used to coach at Holy Cross. He knows Chesney. He knows the program. He knows the philosophy and the thought process offensively. This is going to be a tricky game for them. This Bryan team is talented. They've had some tough losses this year. This could be a game that this is a, a, a trap game if there ever was one. They wrap up the season the following weekend at Georgetown. But, hey, look, you got to get through these two before you can start thinking bye and, and projecting into the future with the playoffs. But, again, 
They got to take care of business this week against a, a talented team that's just had a down year. Bulldogs are certainly capable of going up there and pulling off the upset. Um, URI, I was down there on Saturday, picked up an impressive 26-22 win over Maine. And you might be saying to yourself, impressive. Maine has a losing record. Well, Maine owned a 14-game winning streak against URI. And the Rams were able to snap that streak on Saturday. That sets up a huge game in the CAA on Saturday up in Durham when the Rams visit UNH. UNH lost to Richmond this week. This game has major implications both within the conference and when it comes to at-large playoff seeding. URI just missed out last year at 7-4. and four. Both teams going into this one at 6-3. and three. This one's going to be huge. Our Ryan Barry's going to be there. It's going to be a dandy of a football game. Yeah, and I think um, I think that win over Maine is good because even though Maine doesn't have the best record, they've been competitive in a lot of games. They're, They're a very talented football team. And yeah, they, were yeah. without, they were without who I think is the best tight end in New England. They were without Sean Bowman. So that I makes mean, a I huge feel, difference. I feel like everybody in that league is competent, even the ones who don't have great records. I think you know it's just how it is. It's one of the best leagues in the country. So it's cool. And, I, I, you know, URI has put together a great season. And they're, you know, you know, especially the last few years when they've sort of fallen off in the second half of the year, you know, to get that win I think was significant. Yeah, I don't think you can overstate that win. Like you guys both said, Maine's a good team. And we're also talking about a URI team coming off a tough loss, like against William & Mary. So to bounce back in that spot – and make sure it didn't turn, you know, into back-to-back losses and snowball and completely eliminate you. That's a big win. Um, and you set yourself out for another big weekend, which, again, if you lost this past game, this one doesn't really mean much now. So um, that's a big win just to kind of get back on track and, and make sure you keep your playoff hopes alive. Yeah, and and the Rams' big playability got them back in the game. They were down 10 nothing, kind of – playing listless in the first half, and all of a sudden you blink and Kasim Hill hits Ed Lee on a 63-yard touchdown pass, and now they're back in it. And I think that's what makes them so dangerous is their ability to push the ball vertically and make big plays down the foot down the field. But the other thing is they're so patient. They don't get out of their game plan. They're going to run the football. They're going to use that running game to set up that play-action pass game, that, that zone-read run game. And then they're going to push the ball down the field. They're so well coached in all three phases of the game. But same thing with UNH. I love the matchup this weekend of that URI offensive line versus that UNH front seven, that offense versus that defense. I think it's going to be a terrific game. I, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that this will be one of the best games of the year, in my opinion. I really believe that. I think it's going to be a fabulous matchup, and it's it's – going to be a lot of fun, and I'm glad that we're going to have the opportunity to get up there and cover that one. Uh, Boston College, what more can you say? Played tough on Friday night against Duke, but it wasn't enough. Eagles lose again. They're out of bowl consideration now at 2-7. and seven. I guess the question that has to be asked now is, I mean, what, what, what do you play for now if you're Jeff Halfley's team, other than the fact that you're playing spoiler? But what are you playing for now moving forward? If you're halfway in this staff, what are you looking to get out of the rest of this season? He, well, go ahead. No, I was just saying, he talked about it yesterday. For the young guys, it's just, you know, look, you're still freshmen and sophomores. You need to prove that you belong in the field. And for the older guys, you know, like Zay Flowers, you're trying to improve your draft stock now. So, and obviously a lot of the veterans, you know, they don't have NFL aspirations. Not everyone does, I should say. So that's a little tougher, but um, I don't think you're going to see them quit. It's just, look, if you're a college athlete in Division One, and you quit, it says something more about you than the team. So um, I think you'll see them play hard. And, again, for the most part, the younger guys need to prove that they belong on the field next year. So in reality, you're playing for next year. You're playing for jobs right now. Yeah, I think you are playing for next year. And, I mean, the guy that – has continued to impress despite everything is Joe Griffin, wide receiver from Springfield Central. I mean, I remember seeing this kid as a sophomore when they played Everett one year, and he looked like a college sophomore already. Like he was 
He was filled out. It looked like he hadn't missed a single day of the weight room. And he was fast, good hands, run good, runs good routes, you know, and he just kept getting better and better. And look at how good he's playing now. I mean, he's he's, he's playing well every week. And if you're Halfley, you got to be excited about him. You need more guys like him, guys that come in as freshmen and are ready, ready to go. So um, I think it's just awesome. You know, a lot of those Springfield Central guys are doing well and um, at the college level, and it's really cool to see. Yeah, and, and, you know, of course, you're hearing some chatter now by fans about, you know, will some of these guys stay? Will they go? Griffin's name has been mentioned. Is he a guy that could possibly enter the portal? I don't think so, especially with his brother committing there. I think they're going to stay local, and they're going to they're gonna ride it out. Could he eventually enter the portal down the road? Yeah, of course, but I don't see it this offseason. Uh, I think he recognizes that he's going to be a big part of this offense next year, and with Emmett Moorhead, more than likely being your starting quarterback next year. The the two of them already have a connection there. They've forged that on-field bond, and, and I think he knows that. And I think ultimately any talk of him possibly transferring or any of these freshmen that have an opportunity that have had an opportunity to play, I think any talk of them transferring is is premature. Uh I, I do think you bring up a good point, Kevin, about the fact that. You're playing for next year now. Now you're playing for an opportunity. If you're these younger guys, you're playing for jobs next year. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, Zay, one has to assume, is going to go on to the NFL. Um, what happens with Phil? And I think this brings up a bigger question. Moorhead played well on Friday night. Do you stick with him the rest of the year? Well, I mean, half they acknowledge it after the game, which is something he hasn't done all year. So, you know, they're thinking about it. Plus, from a Djokovic perspective, do you want to play anymore this season? Like, we obviously don't know the significance of the injury, but three games left in front of that offensive line or behind that offensive line, do you risk another injury or further injury for a a useless, for for lack of a better term, season? I mean, if I'm him, I don't play again. And if halfway in the staff, well, you need to get more head reps right now. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that. These last three weeks too. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, part of me wants to see what Morehead can give them. I think he's shown some promise, but I'd feel bad for Jakovic if he wants to play and he's you know he's the better guy, you know. But we'll see. I think Morehead is the more exciting option. If you are truly playing for next season, then that's what you do. Um. But I, I wonder where Djokovic's head is at after all this. You know, this is a guy that, you know, was considered a top 10 quarterback in college football out of draft-eligible guys in the beginning of the season. And I don't know where he is now, but it can't be as high. And I wonder how much scouts look at his situation and say, well, I don't think anybody would have done that well. But it's got to be something you think about. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a good point. I, I think to me, if you're Jeff Halfley and, and your staff, I don't think you play him again this season. I think you ride with Moorhead and you see what you have with him. He's the future. And you have an opportunity to play him and see what you have in him. Good good opportunity to evaluate him in in-game action. And as far as Jakovic is concerned, he does have options here. He can come back, he can enter the portal, or he can enter the draft. That's going to be an interesting situation to watch here because – if you're him, I, if you enter the draft, part of me thinks you got bad information. If he can if he can hit the portal and go somewhere else and play one more year and rebuild his stock, then that's probably what he should do. He can also stay here, but I don't see that happening. I think if he has the opportunity to stay here, I, in my opinion, I don't have any inside information. In my opinion, I think he's probably going to opt on, uh, on moving on. Is, is, is what I'm trying to say. I think he's probably going to decide to move on. But either way, I think if you're BC now with two and seven, play him at Moorhead, see what you got. And and who knows, maybe along the way you upset an NC State or Notre Dame. Syracuse now all of a sudden looks like a winnable game. Maybe he wins you that game Thanksgiving weekend to close the season. So I think there's a lot to talk about with this football program right now, and we're going to be talking about them a bunch this offseason. But I do think – that, in my opinion, move on with Moorhead, see what you have with him, see if he could be the guy. And I think 
they think he can be the guy. He's going to be in position to be the guy next year. Why not give him an opportunity to get some meaningful reps that can help him prepare for that? Uh, UMass coming off a tough loss on Friday night to UConn. Big win for UConn. They get to 500 at 5-5. Five and five. They win one more. They're bowl eligible. They get a tough one this week at home, though, against Liberty. And then they close out at Army. For, for Let's start with UMass, and then I'm going to come back to UConn because Jim Moore made some interesting comments in an interview today that I wanted to get your thoughts on. The UMass fan base is getting restless. And, and look, we people will say, man, you guys love to you love to walk into the Wolves' den there and talk about the UMass fan base. They're a passionate lot. Of course I'm going to talk about the UMass fan base. They love this program. They love their athletic department. They love their school. They want programs that are successful. It seems to me, judging by some of the reaction of this loss to UConn, and keep in mind it was UConn, a regional rival, but it does seem to me that things have kind of hit a boiling point here. You're starting to see a lot of physical frustration with Coach Brown. You saw it after that, after the game on Friday night in that in that post-game press conference. Even today, Kevin, you were you were in, in the uh, Zoom when he met with the media. There's visible signs of frustration there. I again, and I've asked you guys this question, it seems like every week, but they are what they are at this point. I we could sit here and speculate where we thought they were gonna be. Are they where we, we thought they would be? Whatever we think, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. As Bill Parcells once said, your, your record is who you are. And right now, their record is who they are. So I guess the only other question left to ask is, what's tangible progress for this program right now? I mean, is it that Brady Olson is playing and the offense looks a little better? What's tangible progress? They need, they need wins. They've had good-looking losses. You know, and I mean, this gets into kind of what Mora was saying. But after all the coaches that have gone through UMass that have not been able to get it going, is it the coaching or is it something about UMass? I, I To me, it's something about UMass. I don't think all their coaches are this bad. I don't think all their players are this bad. I think it's got to be something bigger. It's got to be, you know, lack of facilities, you know, a very average game day atmosphere, you know, just a lot. There's a lot of things that go into it, and, and I don't, I don't think Don Brown's a bad coach. It, it's just early for him to get it going, and I, you know, it's, it just looks like the same thing over and over again. No matter who's coaching, no matter who's playing, it's this team that just can't get over the hump can't sustain momentum, can't win games. I mean, they they got to win some more games than, the, than the, what they've won. It's really a frustrating scenario for them. I know their fans have had it up to here with the whole deal. Well, let me let me just jump in real quick, Adam, not to cut you off, but but people will point to UConn and say Moore is in his first year. They're 5-5. Five and five. How yeah. are they 5-5 five and five and UMass only has one win? What, what is the difference? I think I – mean, I think I UConn, think UConn has a more talented roster for one. Well, yeah, they did, but also they've been able to figure things out on offense. UMass has not been able to figure things out on offense. They have not found a rhythm. They haven't even found really an identity. Even though they they love to run the ball, it hasn't worked. So I don't know what they're doing exactly that works. They UConn has some plays that work. UConn has. You know, an effective running game. UConn has freshmen contributing. I don't. I don't see that at UMass. Um, for me, for UMass, it just. I think it comes back to the expectations just being too high before the the season started. And now, obviously, every program with a new coach, especially a coach that had success here before, you're gonna have high expectations. But this program was so far down and just lacking talent, it's going to take longer than people wanted for for that tangible evidence. Now, look, we've said this over multiple weeks now. Should they have a, a, another win or two? Probably. But, like, what did we actually expect? You know, so, yes, they should have a couple more wins, but I also think it's just way too early to say this is already a failure when the program had so many holes and just so much work to ultimately get to 
well, I guess with UConn is, that also hurts them too. I mean, your next door neighbor doing that well doesn't help. And I do think, like you said, John, they just have more talent to start out with. But and, and better facilities, a better setup. There's no 100%. doubt about that. Yeah, no. And, not again, even, facility wise, it's not even close. Not even close. So for me, it ultimately just goes back to preseason expectations being too high. I think that's a valid point. I think that a lot of people believed that this was going to be a quicker turnaround because of Coach Brown, the staff. It's a good staff, an experienced staff. I think a lot of people looked at that. I think a lot of people looked at what they did in the portal, and they felt, all right, they can turn this thing around. This thing can be fixed relatively quickly. But as it turns out, it's not that easy. And we know that, and I think a lot of people in the football world know that. But I also think that Adam brings up a really good point, which is how many times are you going to blame it on the coaches? How many times are you going to blame it on the players? I mean, at some point, there's got to be something else that's not working there. And, and, and I think that that's a valid point because you can't be this bad every single year and it just be the coach and the players. Because you can say whatever you want about Walt Bell. Part of the reason why Walt Bell appealed to the administration there was he was a good recruiter. And he recruited relatively well. We were told by several people in the program this spring that the cupboard is far from bare. There's talent there. So Don Brown, we know, can recruit. We know his staff can recruit. Jeff Moore is one of the best recruiters around. And that staff can recruit, period. So what's the issue then? And there's got to be something else there. It just doesn't add up. And I, I don't know. I just I, I think Adam posed a really good question. That's all. Does the lack of a conference still hurt them? It must, right? Just in yes. terms of you know yeah. kids wanting to play there. We yes, but then the other side of that coin, though, Adam, uh, Kevin, is UConn. People yeah. will say, but, but UConn's not in a conference, and look at what they're doing. BYU hasn't been in a conference in a long time. Look at what they've been able to do. It's just it's weird. It just kind of hit me. We've barely talked about that at all this year when it was the number one story surrounding that team last year. So now is that our kids kind of, I don't know how to put it, just not as highly motivated when you don't have a conference title or a conference title game to play for? Like, I don't, I don't know. think so. I mean, you're on scholarship. And yeah. and you if you're going to UMass now, part of the appeal is you want to go play for Don Brown, play in that system, because you believe that he can get you ready to play at the next level. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's the location of the school. I don't know if it's the lack of facilities. I don't know what it is. All I know is something isn't working there. And I don't know, other than being patient, I don't know how you fix it. I, I don't. Other than being patient and hoping that you can continue to augment the roster and hope that things start to come together for you. I just feel like in a lot of ways, they made the jump to D1 without getting all their ducks in a row. And, and I feel like that just – it feels that way. Like when they were playing those games at Gillette, what are you thinking, man? That's nowhere near UMass. You think people are going to come to that game? They would have, they'd have like 8,000 people at those games. You know? No, but I think their rationale made sense. You want to you wanted to play some of those games here because you wanted the, the Eastern Mass alumni to be able to attend the games. Not everybody's going to drive all the way out there to watch them play. So I, I, I know what you're saying, and I'm not disagreeing with you. All I'm saying is I think I think the intent was good. It just the it just didn't work out. I thought it was dumb. It never worked out. I mean, they overestimated the amount of uh, alumni from Eastern Mass that would actually go to those games. Nobody went to those games. It was garbage. And, you know, like, I like McGurk. It's not – it's, but it's not like a real stadium for a Division One A team for an FBS program. It's not. It's 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 not a great facility. Um, it just there's just so many parts of it where you you, you wonder if they could have done things differently. Would they have? Well, you know? I think I I think where I disagree with you though is I think it is a Division One FBS stadium if you're playing in the MAC. The MAC right. was the right conference for them. 
Yeah, yeah, it would have been nice. was the right conference for them, and they should have stayed in the MAC. And unfortunately, the problem you have with college sports today is, especially in college football and college basketball, college basketball wants to do their own thing. And in, in the case of UMass, college hockey wants to do their own thing. And your lacrosse program wants to do its own thing. And so I think ultimately, if the school had committed to staying in the MAC and making it work, the MAC would have been the best possible conference for this school. And especially yeah. because geographically speaking, I know that it's, it's a Midwest conference, but like the Big Ten, like these other conferences, they also wanted a piece of the New England media market. And that's what appealed to them about UMass when they let them in originally. So I, I think that they were in the right conference at one point, but it didn't work out for whatever reason. Other sports didn't want to play in it and whatnot. And ultimately, now you're right. Now you look at that stadium, it's not FBS caliber per se. It's it's still it still is more of an FCS type of of stadium more than it is an FBS type of stadium. So I, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. You hope that there's enough positives that are taken away from these last three weeks and, and Coach Braun and his staff can continue to build on what they've done there so far. Uh, switching gears real quick to the Ivy League, Harvard suffers a tough loss late 21-20 to Columbia. Columbia coming off a pretty bad loss to Yale the week before. Uh, the Lions are at Brown this week, but this was – this loss in many ways is a microchasm of this season for the Crimson. This is this is who they are. They just they they start fast, can't finish. It's another week, it's the same story. They they got off to a good start, but ultimately they couldn't do enough to win the game. Yeah, aside from BC, uh, I don't think it's too much to say they're the most disappointing team in New England. You know, based on preseason projections, they were supposed to win the Ivy League. You know, they, they might be a 500 team or a close to it when it's all said and done. So, yeah, terrible loss and just a just a bad year for Coach Murphy and, and that team. And um, I don't always want to preface it, but as good as they've been, it's, you can't sugarcoat it. You know, it's just, no. it, that's ugly. That's that's a bad loss. And um, I texted both of you guys just saying, you know, yikes when I saw the score. I couldn't believe it. Um, and, and selfishly, you know, we're going to cover the, the game against Yale. I was hoping for a little bit of higher stakes in that game. That's out the window now, too. Yeah, it's just a tough – it's been a tough year for Harvard. I mean, they never really looked like the team that they were supposed to be. Even in some of their wins, it was, like, really close, giving up a lot of points. It just felt It just felt like they never got it right this year, which is disappointing because I think they're a talented team. Yeah, and, and Yale is still in it. They may have something on the line in that game in a couple weeks. If they can upset Princeton this week at home, and, and we anticipate being at that game on Saturday, but if they can they can upset Princeton, that is huge now. Now all of a sudden, that's that that to me would be great for the game because now there's as you said, Kevin, we were hoping that there'd be some higher stakes going into into that game, one of the best rivalries in all of sports. You might have that if somehow Yale can can upset Princeton this weekend. Yale, by the way, 69 points on Saturday, had a tremendous offensive output against Brown. What a disappointing loss for Brown. Coming off the upset win over Penn to then turn around and get throttled against a regional rival like Yale, a team that they scrimmage at the end of camp. It, it just – that score surprised me, believe it or not, more than any of the score in the area this weekend. Because here I am saying that the defense is playing better, that the offense is more diverse, and, and the proof is in the pudding, the success that they're having. They upset Penn, and then they turn around and and they lay a, a, an egg the way they did. That was really disappointing, really, really disappointing. And you hope that they can bounce back this week against Columbia. I do want to go back for a sec. We didn't get a chance to, to finish up the UConn part of the conversation we talked about the Huskies and their win over UMass, but uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the comments Jim Mora made today. And he talked about that, in essence, he said the program will always be five and five unless there's a commitment to the program to, to help it take the next step. And if the commitment is there, then the program can take the next step. That he's not here to go five and five every year. He came to UConn to win. 
if the commitment is not there, and what he means by commitment is the financial commitment, if the financial commitment is not there, then that's what they are. They're going to be a 500 program or less every year. I think a lot of people were taken aback by those comments and, and how candid he was. What do you make of them? Are you surprised that he said these things? No. Um, um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Adam. Okay. Um, I'm not totally surprised because you see coaches make comments like that every now and then. It's not common, but it does happen. I remember when the Memphis coach a few coaches ago got fired, he said that in his sort of exit press conference, like, hey, I need a greater commitment. If somebody's, if we're going to win, we need a greater commitment from the university. And, you know, that can mean a lot of things. It, it is financial, but it could be, you know, oh, hey, we want an indoor practice facility. We want this. We want that. And I think this might be sort of a strange thing to say, but I feel like some places having a winning football team is not really a big deal. So they don't commit and they don't put money into it. And they don't do what the coach wants as far as commitment uh, financially. So I think that's I, – I like it when coaches say stuff like this because it's like, hey, you know, we could, we could be a 10-win football team, but I'm not going to do it by myself. We can't do it. You know, the, you, this is an extreme example. But you look at, like, teams in the SEC, the millions of dollars that they put into everything with their football program. Those teams want to win, and then they do win because they sort of, it's sort of like a manifest destiny. So, you know, I think it was good that Morris said that. I, I like it when co- coaches say that and say, hey, look, we're not where we need to be. This is what we need to do. So I liked it. So at first I was surprised just by the timing. But the more you think about it, it might just be a, a stroke of stinky genius. You know, if you're three and seven, you can't make those comments right now. But if five and five – and with alumni coming out of the woodwork, you know, throwing support behind them, why not make the comments? You know, put the bug in the ear of of people above you and and see if you can get something else out of it. So I just think it was kind of a, a sneaky good timing by Moore to, to try and kind of tweak the people above them and, and see how committed they really are. Do you think that he's also doing it because in the back of his mind he knows – he could be a candidate somewhere else. There's going to be a bunch of jobs open again. He may be linked to some of them. Do you think part of the reason he did what he did today was almost to put the school on notice that, hey, if you don't make this commitment, someone might come come around and offer me more money and a better opportunity, and I might have to consider it. Yeah, I could see that. Again, just timing-wise, you're not going to have much more momentum than you have right now. I mean, people are talking about him as – a national coach of the year candidate. Like, if you're him, you have nothing to lose today by making these comments. Yeah, I agree. no, I, I agree. But but the one thing I will say, and again, I, I don't know what he's looking for from a financial commitment. I don't know if he's looking for more money, which could be the case. I don't know if he's looking for a bump in pay. I don't know if he's looking for a bump in pay for his assistance. I mean, look, let, let's call it the way it is. No matter how much money you put into that program. Unless you make the college football playoff, that's always going to be a basketball school. You're always going to be fighting that. Not that it's a bad thing, because I think Moore and his staff have done a great job embracing hoops and using it as a a selling point in recruiting, and rightfully so. I mean, those are two great basketball programs. Um, But I think that there are areas of, of the facilities that could be better. I mean, their practice fields could be better. They could have a better practice facility. Uh, they do have an indoor facility. We know how we know how impressive the football facility is, but I do think that some of this is motivated by hey, I've done a good job. You might want to give me a little bit more money. B, uh, I if we're going to be better and keep building, you've got to put more money into this because we're not we don't have enough resources. And C, hey, if you don't do these things and we keep having success here, I might not be around. Who knows? You never know. I mean, he is 60, but he's a proven winner. He's a guy that's proven he can turn programs around. And I just find the timing of this funny. Now, you got to go out and back it up on Sunday, or on Saturday, rather. When you play a really good Liberty team that just beat Arkansas, you better you better back up the talk this week because 
You don't want to have to go into that Army game at Mikey Stadium the last weekend of the season next weekend with a bowl bid on the line and not get it done. If you're going to say some of the things he said, you got to make sure you take care of your business. All right, gentlemen, let's do a quick final segment here. I want to uh, talk some high school football before we wrap it up. Um, opening weekend of the playoffs in Massachusetts. Any surprises? I mean, I think we all agree there was one big surprise in Division Two. But any any major surprises outside of Peabody and Fian? Honestly, just sorry, no, just the scores for me. Like you know, you think playoff football, you think low scoring. There was some ridiculously high scores, and I mean, just the game I was at, for example, Reading and Lemonster was fifty-one forty-four, and it came down to the very last drive. Um, can't say enough about James Murphy and just the stones that he showed too. But for me, it was just the high scoring affairs, and you know, I guess. It shouldn't be that much of a surprise, given a lot of the talented offenses. But you don't think high scores during this time of year. That's all. Yeah, it was. There were a lot of blowouts. That was the thing that I didn't expect that many non-competitive games. But, but most of the games, outside of the handful, most of the games were blowouts. You know, thirty or forty to six to fourteen. It was just um, kind of disappointing. I thought the best game was probably. Um, Brockton at Methuen. A, a yeah, total that was a shoot. tremendous game. I think there was maybe one punt the entire game, and both offenses got got it going. Um, and then going back to that PBD game you mentioned, I mean, talk about a team that has really turned it around. I, I think Fian was either zero and three or one and three to start the season. And I think they were zero and three at one point, and then they yeah. were one and three. They they ended up. Figuring it out. Yeah. So, I mean, they they had some injuries, which contributed to that. But uh, Nick Yanchuk, another tremendous game, over 300 yards rushing. Fiend comes right at you in the run game. They come at you in the eye formation. They come downhill. They dare you to tackle him. And teams don't want to tackle Yanchuk because he's a big dude. He's fast. He's physical. And they are a tough team to watch. I think that game um, with Reading is going to be excellent because uh, I think Fiend has a shot at another upset there. But I do think with Murphy, with Murphy, I mean, I mean, Reading's hard to beat when he's on. Just yeah. to add to that, real quick too, um, freshman quarterback for Lemonster, Osiris Lopez. That kid's going to be a stud. Uh, he he's single handedly kept his team in it, just extending plays and making throws on the run. So I, I just wanted to give him a little bit of love too because if without him, that's a blowout. So um, credit to that kid as a freshman to, to go toe-to-toe with Murphy. Yeah. No, he, he he's terrific. And I think that they're a program that's – they're on the, they're on the rise. They're going to be a factor, whether it's in D2 or D1 down the road, but they're going to be a factor. And, and Devin Gates has it going there now, and they could have very easily won Friday night. Uh, when you look at week two of the playoffs, some intriguing matchups here. Uh, Zavarian – Survives a tough game against Wachusett, 45-29. Tucker McDonald and company gave them some problems. And, and, and as a result of winning and, and surviving that game, they now get to drive out to Springfield and take on Springfield Central on Thursday night in D1. That should be one of the better games of the weekend, you would think, right? I think that's the best game of the weekend. That, I mean, that you could see that that's a state final caliber game. Yes, I agree. So – Second year in a row they're meeting in the playoffs. Yeah, exactly. And 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 last year Springfield Central pretty much dominated that game. I'm expecting a closer game this time around. I think I think Zavarian can throw the ball pretty well this year. Um and they can mix it up, but I think they can get in a shootout and be more comfortable in it than they used to. Yeah, I was just gonna say that that game has has shootout written all over it. There's a couple of other intriguing matchups in D1 as well. You got Andover in the prep, which I think is going to be a terrific matchup. And then you got Central Catholic and Everett, which I think can also be a really good matchup. And dare I say, we shouldn't sleep on Everett. I know I, I said that about the prep earlier this year too, but Everett was pretty impressive in their win over Taunton on Friday night. They're, they're a good football team. LRB's a load at quarterback. He's tough to handle. You got a skill. You got a good skill group with Zamor and 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 the other guys in that group, and Everett is Everett. And Rob DiLoretto is a hell of a coach. He's got a good staff. You can never count them out. 
That's the kind of program that all of a sudden, you know, you look and, and they find themselves in, in a sectional final and you're like, how did that happen? Well, it's a program that it's history, tradition, and talent. They always have talent. They've done a good job there. That should be an intriguing matchup. And D2, of course, to me, the best matchup of the weekend is going to be Milford-Mansfield. Um, I covered the Mansfield game Friday night, and and I was kind of taken aback by Mike Redding's comments after the game. It was very unlike him, and I've known him for a long time, where he basically lashed out at the fact that his program was an eight seed, which, say what you want, their schedule, he wasn't happy. But then the other thing he said is, he said, if you're Milford, you can't possibly be happy playing us in the second round. I thought that was pretty interesting because he's never been one to trash talk. And and I, not that he was trash talking, but I thought the comment was interesting. It was out of character for him. Yeah. He's not wrong. Why? No, I'm just saying he's not wrong. If you're Milford, do you want to see a team that good in the second round? Like, it's, a, it's factually correct, but it is strange to hear you know, uh, uh, that program talking like that, but he's I, not wrong. I, I do think in the Division Two, with all the good teams in it, they're going to face somebody good in that round regardless. So whether it's Mansfield or, you know, Catholic Memorial or any anybody really, you know, it's it's going to be a good game. I, I think it's a good – I think it adds some intrigue to the game because I'm sure the guys over at Milford heard that, you know. Um, but I think um, – It'll be a good game. The last time these two teams played, I was at that game at Mansfield in 2021, and uh, Milford won in overtime in an incredible last second, sort of incredible uh, pass towards the pylon uh, to win it. It was and it was just a great game. So I'm expecting another great game. These teams are familiar with each other. You know, they've played each other. They know they know everything about the other team. I think it'll be a fun game. Yeah, I agree. And, of course, the other good matchup in the D2 bracket is, of course, we mentioned earlier, Redding and Bishop Fee, and that's going to be one hell of a game. And I think KP Marshfield could be one hell of a game as well. In D3, you've got two tremendous games for this round. You've got Marblehead at Milton, which I think could be a lot of fun. And then you've got Bill Rick at North Attleboro, which you're talking about a state championship caliber matchup. This is a state title game caliber matchup here between these two programs. Yeah, I, I can't wait for North Attleboro or Bill Rick. I'm, I'm not going to see it, but um, I think North Attleboro or Bill Rick is a really fun game. They played each other in the playoffs last year. North Attleboro won. Um, I think it's a pretty good contrast to styles uh, because Bill Rick is going to throw the ball a little bit more and North Attleboro is just going to come at you in the run game and then get some play action. So I can't wait. for. I think that's going to be one of the best games of the weekend. And when you look at it in in uh, D three, all four matchups are terrific, because you also have Hanover Walpole, you have Wakefield, Plymouth South, and as I mentioned, you have Milton Marblehead. I mean, all four matchups are unbelievable in D three. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to touch on D four. Uh, a couple of intriguing matchups there. You got Duxbury Middleborough, which I think is going to be a, could be a really good matchup. Pat Kingman's got a good football team at Middleborough. Um, and then you got Holliston Situate, you know, the defending champs in D4 Situate, they advance, they get a really good Holliston team who, who won a hard fought game against Melrose. That could be an interesting matchup. And then you got the central mass matchup with Grafton Marlboro and of course, Bedford Foxborough. D4 is also, um, a division that has some really quality matchups this weekend in the playoffs. Yeah. That Marlboro Grafton game was one of our games of the week. Um, I want to say three weeks ago when I was there. That's just going to be a rock fight. Two teams that like to run the ball and play defense. Um, so I, that's going to be – that might be one of the underrated games of the weekend. Um, and then we talked about Holliston kind of flying under the radar, so it would have been surprisingly as a program that has had you know success. They've been there and done that. But just people aren't talking about them, and here they are again. So, yeah, no, great, great matchups in D4. Yeah, I can't wait for that Holliston situate. Situate's got some losses, but – They've played teams tough, and they've played a tough schedule. Um, and so they're battle-tested, and I thought that was an impressive win over uh, uh, Northampton. All right, gentlemen, any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? Just uh, get in on the raffle if you can. We uh, we keep plugging on, on social media. Some proceeds will go to the National MS Society. Um, three cornhole boards. Well, 
five bucks potentially. Um, customized cornhole boards, coasters, and Christmas ornaments, uh, all by Dillis Place for Christmas. So a great opportunity. Help out a good cause as well. That's great. I, th- I also think, um, hey, if your team is in those, you know, non-playoff matchups, go and see that game. You know, it's uh, you know the playoff games are important, but so are the other ones. You get to sort of, you know, see see the team compete against a team of a sort of a like talent level, and uh, you know the kids are obviously disappointed not to be in the playoffs. But if you can get a chance to see those games, definitely take the opportunity. All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. As always, I want to thank our sponsor, Mortgage Right, for Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. I'm John Cyrenitas. Get out to the games and enjoy them. We have another great weekend of football coming up. Peace. See you.